0: Well, good morning, saints. So uh, we are in a an Advent series entitled "Heralds of His Coming." Uh, we're spending more time in the Old Testament than we are in the New Testament, tying the two together, and the intention is to show us how God's Word all fits together. It is tempting for some uh, to believe that the Bible that Christianity was invented. Uh, by the disciples, sitting around the campfire, uh, well, Jesus is dead, so what do we do now? Let's make up something to keep the momentum going forward. Nothing could be further from the truth. The intrinsic message from Genesis all the way through the end of the Old Testament to Malachi is there is someone coming. As God would deal primarily with Israel, and let's be honest, they were a lot to handle, right? Lots of ups and downs with them. But as God was dealing specifically and and personally with Israel, concurrently at the same time, there were messages that God's prophets were giving that one would come, a Messiah, a Christ, an anointed one, who would get the job done. Yes, You do indeed see a priest every single day making sacrifices and annual sacrifices, all of those things. And that would go on for centuries, but one was coming, as the scripture says, who would heal the land in one day. One act, the death of Christ. So last Sunday, we made the important proposition that while it is good to sit in wonder and amazement at Jesus' birth, our wonder and our worship is truly complete when we see his birth in light of his suffering and death and resurrection. We miss the entire point of his coming if we do not intentionally connect his birth or his coming to his suffering, his advent to his resurrection, and his birth to the cross. This is not a mere philosophical or a preference that some have. It is the very heart of the gospel and the core of Christianity and the consistent message of all 66 books in your Bible, Old and New Testament. Indeed, it was the Apostle John who said that the Son of God came. He appeared to destroy the works of the devil. That's just one statement. The Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Now, I would like to highlight two words in that verse. That word appeared is a very, it carries with it a sense of suddenness. He showed up. The Son of God appeared. We don't say that about regular people. But the Son of God, He appeared suddenly. There He was. Why did the angel show up and give God praise upon His birth? Because the Son of God had just appeared. He had just appeared shown up. There's another word in that verse that is worth of that is worthy of our attention. He came to destroy the works of the devil. That word destroy is a vivid and a violent term. His works needed to be put down. He needed to be put down. The son of God came to violently destroy Satan and his Works as we saw in Genesis. He gave Satan the lethal head blow. I'd like you to turn, if you would, to First Timothy chapter one. I would like to just show you Paul speaking to this very matter. First Timothy chapter one and verse fifteen. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. So everything that the apostle writes is worthy of our acceptance. But now he's going to make it a point to remind you that this is worth your acceptance and completely trustworthy. What is he about to say? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom... I am the foremost. Paul was referring to the fact that he actually killed Christians. That he tried to stop it. Which, if you think about it's kind of silly. But, Emmanuel. God with us. So, with this in mind, the testimony of Scripture. When we more fully understand the significance of Jesus coming. It is a good thing. To bask in the holy presence, knowing that God himself came. Emmanuel, God with us. He has not left us. He has not forgotten us. He is not ambivalent to our distress, to our disharmony. So let us enter this season and enjoy this season with holy amazement and wonder. Again, we quote the Apostle John. That which was from the beginning, Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, you can Feel his amazement. You can feel his excitement. We saw him. He was right before us. We lived with him. He taught us. We traveled with him. The philosophy of the day was that the divine could not possibly be housed in human flesh. Why on earth would a God subject himself to a mortal body? Which kind of makes sense. But that's the wonder of it all. Now. Jesus coming. Answers a lament. That resounds in God's word. Men and women. Crying out to him. In pain and distress. Though implicit in many of the laments. The question of lament that we most often see in the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, is not, why does this hurt so bad? Or how could this possibly be happening to me? But rather, the chief lament how long, O oh Lord? Why aren't you doing something about my suffering? When will you make all of this wrong right? How long until you step in and save the day? How long until we see your face when we see that you actually care? I'd like to take you to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 13. Pretty much right in the middle of your Bible. We've preached through this before. I'd just like to do a, a quick run over because I want you to feel the emotion. I want you to feel the raw emotion as David pours out his heart to God. One thing that I love about God's word is it never, not once ever sweeps things under the rug. Just pretend that it's not there, put on a good face. Verse 1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? We know that when we are in distress, it feels like forever. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? He wasn't just having a bad day. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider verse three and answer me. O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, this is not just Dave's internal thoughts, that's included, but it's the people around him too. Lest my enemy say, I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But then he turns. This is often the pattern in these lament psalms. But, contrast, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I may not feel it now. In fact, I certainly am not. I will sing to the Lord Because he has dealt bountifully with me. In the depth of his personal despair, David chose, however long it took, to trust God. To trust his unfailing love. Unconditional, never-ending, unfailing love. When God felt distant to him. So what we see on a personal level with David and of course, many, many other people. We also see in a corporate sense with the entire nation of Israel. How long? By the time the New Testament comes into play, there's the Romans, right? The Romans. When are we going to get rid of the Romans? Overtaxing, taxing us, taking advantage of us. So let's tie this together. David trusted in God's unfailing love 800 years before Christ came. Remember what the scripture says. God so loved the world. The ultimate, the most beautiful, the most profound expression of God's love for us was when he sent his son. It is good, my friends, to slow down, to contemplate it, and take it all in. I know full well that it's a busy time of year. But, slow down. Reflect and contemplate on this beautiful thing that God is with us. Be intentional. Make time for it. It will refresh your soul. I'd like to give you three very specific reasons or specific ways to ponder the wonder of Jesus' birth this Advent season. And here's number one. God is faithful and you can depend on him. This is a big one. Have you been let down by others when they do not follow through with what they said they would do? Loved ones who don't follow through? People you expect more from but who have consistently or often underperformed? How often do you say to yourself, well that's not going to happen because I can't depend on him or her? My friend, God is not like that. Look at Christmas. Look at Bethlehem. Look at that teen mom who carried the Son of God and gifted us the greatest gift we have ever received. When I consider the Advent narrative, I see that God is faithful. God keeps his promises. When he says he will do something, he does it. God said Jesus would come. And he talked about it in great detail for centuries. God kept his word. Remember, last week we saw that the Messiah, the promised one, the Christ, would come through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That promise was rooted in a promise that was made to Abraham Through you, all the nations shall be blessed. Through you, all the nations will be blessed. And then through Jacob's son, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We see later in scripture that it was David's line that would be key. But he is not only the one who would come is not only Jesse's branch. He is the root of David. He came after David. He came through David, but he made David. He is before him, but came through him. Now I do want you to turn, I referenced this last week, to the first book of your New Testament. In fact, the very first sentence. I want you to see it in your own Bible. Matthew chapter 1. Even if we don't fully comprehend the significance of things that we read. is important that we get to the bottom of it. Genesis, I mean, uh, Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He begins this way because every Jew will have the same question. Show me his lineage. The son of David. The son of Abraham. As we said last week, no warm greetings. Been a long 400 years since you've heard from one of us. Here we are. He runs in. He slams the scroll down and he says, "We got him. We've got our guy. He's here." But there's more. While that is significant, particularly for the Jewish readership, God also told us exactly where he would be born. And this was 5 Hundred years before he was born. He would be born in Bethlehem. But you need to know there were two Bethlehems. It was the lesser Bethlehem. Because this is not a big Hollywood production. He's coming to a little village. Whoever has this. Which of you can say that it was said of me hundreds of years before I would be born that Colin would be born in Bethesda, Maryland? Friend, God said that one would come through Abraham's line, through Isaac, through Jacob, through Judah, through Jesse, through David, and he did. He said he would be born in a small little town, and he was. In Daniel chapter 9, he says, When he would be born, and he was. My friend, you can trust him. He is faithful and he is true. He follows through. You can depend on him. When you sit in awe of the incarnation, of the advent of the birth of Christ, consider this truth: God is faithful. And remember, we saw in Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six, very well known. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Second concept: that I encourage you to think long and hard about this season. God is all wise and God knows exactly what you need. He actually knows that more than you do. We need to be reminded of that. The well-known intricacies of the Advent story are that Jesus was born of a virgin as indeed he is God with us. We'll touch on this briefly. The Old Testament evangelist. Isaiah gives the most remarkable glimpse into Jesus' birth. He tells us that his name will be Mighty God. I'll say this every Christmas no Jew would ever dare to call their child God. But listen. God did not send a representative. He did not pass the buck onto someone else. He was not aloof. He came himself and he came to get the job done. To destroy the works of the devil. Jesus, scripture says, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But rather, he took the form of a man of a servant And he was obedient to death. Death had no jurisdiction over Jesus. But he was obedient to death. Even death, Paul says to the Philippians on the cross. A cruel Roman cross. God is with us. Knowing the extraordinary person who would be with us, Isaiah also said... Not which was not surprising in the least that he would be born of a virgin. Sometimes we hear this so many times we almost. We lose the wow factor. I would just like to state for the record, that's not how it works. That's not how babies are made. I mean, honestly, can anyone blame Joseph for wanting to put Mary away, even if quietly and with respect. Imagine being the, on the receiving end of that news. Yeah, so um, I'm pregnant. And he's the one who made me so. I'm ex- I imagine the next part wasn't any more helpful. So a special angel came and told me this. Thank God, Joseph received his own angelic visit. No one else could possibly make this make sense to him. But do these details really matter? The answer is yes, and enormously so. Why is this? Our sins, though finite, are against a God who is infinitely holy, who is eternal. And thrice holy in every way. Any payment by a regular person would simply be insufficient. No person can redeem or save the life of another in this situation. The debt that you owe by your sin cannot be repaid by another person, no matter how hard they try and no matter how good they are. God himself had to sort this out. But if God mysterious as it is, if God takes on for himself a body, it must look different. You and I inherit our sin nature from Adam from our forefathers, anyone born the regular way is automatically disqualified to be a savior because of their own innate sin. Don't sleep on the details in God's word. This is why Jesus was born of a virgin. He bypassed the sinful line of Adam and was therefore called by the angel The Holy One. Again. Not ever not once. Is a baby called that. And those of us who have engaged babies. At home or in the nursery know that to be entirely true. That's not an appropriate word. Beautiful, adorable, cute. (laughs) I will not repeat that. Stubborn and so forth. He went on, of course, to pass the test in the wilderness of Satan's temptations. Jesus is the perfect and all sufficient Savior. He meets our need. He meets our need. God is so wise, He knows exactly what we needed. He provided a way. He got the job done in the most elaborate and intricate way. Reflect on that. As we saw recently, when Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, verse chapter 1, verse 18, I think it's the verse 31, the end. He talks about Christ, the wisdom of God the most extraordinary expression of the wisdom of God is Christ himself who solved a problem that we could never solve ourselves. Third, to ponder this Christmas season, consider and ponder through whom and to whom Jesus actually came. Think about it. When royalty makes an appearance, there is pomp and there is circumstance. It is never not a big deal when the queen or the king or whomever show up. When I worked at Central Union Mission, a homeless shelter in D.C., we had the honor one year of having the vice president's wife come. And this is, isn't that cute? That's from there page this week. Um, We had the honor of the vice president's wife coming to help serve on our Thanksgiving dinner, which is always a highlight of the year. Just the most amazing meal, especially for those who are homeless. But I got to tell you, for at least a few days before that event, there were Secret Service running in and out of that entire building, scoping all of it out. And I'm just going to be honest, there were probably a lot of things hidden in the ductwork and all those things in that building. They were scoping it all out. And then the day of, we knew she was actually coming because there were an awful lot of agents walking around on that day. What an incredible reception she had. Now, Jesus created everything and sustains everything. He came for the noble cause of rescuing us. But no fanfare around him. He was despised and he was rejected by men. Remember, this is seven, 800 years before he came. This description is perfect. A man of sorrows... And acquainted with grief. Imagine. The king of the universe. A man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. He knew what it meant to suffer loss. One would think that such a noble person. Showing up to, to do admirable exploits. Would have a king's welcome. But such was not the case born to an unwed teen couple born of the animals no fanfare and his lineage to be sure there was royalty there was david but he also came through he came to us through ordinary people just like you and me his line included a prostitute and a refugee he was coming to save Sinners not just to have a big party. now fast forward through his lineage when he finally, when the time came for him to be born, for him to appear in Bethlehem, well, who is the supporting cast as you read the Gospels? We read of Zechariah and Elizabeth, a faithful priest. Yet one as a couple who surely lived with a moan and a groan. They were advanced in years and yet without child. In her culture, that was a source of great shame. Here they were constantly before the people ministering in the house of God and yet carrying this deep sorrow and in her mind, shame. My friends, Jesus came to heal. He came to the brokenhearted. The ones who surely called out in their lives, how long, O Lord? There was the prophetess Anna, Who night and day surely wept and fasted and prayed in the temple waiting for the promised Messiah. Her husband died seven years into their marriage. So there was a widow now some 84 years old. For sure she was heartbroken. Oh, but she was faithful and she was steadfast She was regularly in the temple praying for this promised one to come. How long, O Lord? And remember, though they are contained in your New Testament, technically they're Old Testament saints because Christ had not died yet. My dear saints, do not look at your brokenness and your pain and your dashed dreams and say that Jesus isn't really for you. It's so easy to do that. Yes, he is for you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came through a line of broken people to save a people that are broken. Ponder this deeply, my friend. God, excuse me, Jesus came For you for all your hurt your anger your pain your suffering betrayal that you have experienced he came to give you a seat at his table a place in his family on equal footing with everyone else at that really big table You are adopted and cherished through the coming of Jesus. So friends, there you have it. Sit in wonder and amazement. Let God's love and inestimable comfort of his presence warm your soul and give you strength for another day. And yes, enjoy the cultural celebrations, the hot chocolate, the lights, the family, the friends, all those things. But listen, God loves you. He came for you. I leave you with one final thought. Theologians will often talk about a term now but not yet. Jesus has come. Redemption has come. The New Testament speaks extensively of God's kingdom. But there's more to come. We're not there yet. Work is yet to be done. God is making all things new, but all things have not yet been made new. Peter speaks... Of a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Because our salvation does not just consist of that moment when we believed and we were justified before God. Peter speaks of an inheritance that is laid up in heaven for you. Clearly the full effects of redemption are yet on the horizon. In the meantime, there are still wars. There are still earthquakes. There are natural disasters. People die. Relationships end. Often with great trauma and pain. You get passed up for promotion. You don't get into the college of your dreams and on down the line. There are still people who are racist. And the list goes on and on and on. We are not living in a perfect world. And we know that full well. But saints... We have hope he has come and the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts and he has given us his spirit as a down payment, a promise of what is to come. He came in wonderful, wonderfully humble means. His birth was attended to by angelic praise and declaration He has not forgotten and he has not abandoned you. In your trials and tribulations, lift up your head. Your king is coming. The first time, he came to suffer. Next time, not the case. May the Lord bless each and every one of us this morning as we ponder the unspeakable beauty of Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. Would you join me as we pray together? In all the busyness of the Christmas season, let us not be governed by the rush from here to there. Let us for our own good and for the good of those around us be intentional about our time with the Lord, gathering together as saints, worshiping and setting our minds on the truth. How beautiful it is to ponder the very heart of the gospel, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And we know full well that this is not an easy time of year for so many and for so many reasons. Let us encourage one another And support one another and remind one another of the beautiful love that God has shown us. As the scripture says, I will never leave you. I will never, no, never forsake you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace. Lord, we could never do this ourselves. How beautiful is the story, the drama of redemption that just explodes off of the pages in the Hebrew Scriptures and, of course, into the full light of the New Testament. As we consider the wonder of wonders, that that little baby is truly God with us. Minister that deep in our soul. Support us with your love. Give us the strength this week to serve you with joy and to be good news to those around us. Thank you for the simplicity and the beauty and the power of that gospel message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He came, he lived, he died for sinners, and he is risen again. Oh Lord, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.